0: because I will run into them. (laughs) Turn with me, if you will, this morning to the minor prophet Hosea, chapter 10. It's the first of the minor prophets. Find Daniel and keep flipping. You'll find it. Now I have to preface this by saying I don't want anybody to amend the statement I'm about to make. I don't do that a lot, but I'd like to do it right now. Don't amend this. I believe, from a, just from a historical sociological standpoint, that it is harder to be a Christian in America today in America than it ever has been before. Okay, I say that just in America because we have not faced the type of persecution as Christians in this country, that people normally face in other countries and on other continents, all right? But I will say that it's harder to be a Christian in America than it ever has been before. And you might cite church attendance or something like that, but that's not even a, a great gauge because there were times even before the Second Great Awakening that church attendance in America in the early 1800s was less than it is today. So let's not look at church attendance to say that that that's the end-all, be-all of whether or not our nation, it's a hard time to be a Christian. But I believe our forebears never had to deal with what we are dealing with right now, especially in the last 30 to 40 years. Their beliefs were never as hated as our beliefs are today. Okay? Okay? Their core values were never under such attack as ours are today. They're the same core values, uh, but they've never been under such attack. And their integrity was never so mistrusted as ours is as Christians today. There is a battle in this country being waged against Christians right now. You know it. You see it. The question is, what do we do with it? Because we are being marginalized, we're being maligned, and in some cases, we're being mistreated. Now, this should come as a surprise to none of us. Jesus said in the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, that we would be persecuted if we pursued righteousness. Everybody remember that? So, if the world hates us for our beliefs, we're pretty much right where we need to be. It's just not our grandparents' America anymore, and that's all I'm trying to get to. Now, we have to do something about it, because you see it every day on the news, you see it in the media, you see it in popular entertainment. We are mocked, ridiculed, scorned, hated. What are we going to do about it? Now, many would say that we just need to form action groups. We need, to, we need to get together, and we need to form coalitions, and then we need to yell louder than our opponents, and if we can yell louder than everybody else, we can retake our country. That's one way of looking at it. There's another strand of Christianity going on right now that says we need to respond to this by softening our core beliefs. That we need to let back on our strong convictions and our ethical and moral statements that would cause, that pe- that cause those people to despise us so that we can fit into an ever-changing, tolerant society. I believe there's a third way. I don't think that we need to go out and form coalitions to yell. Nor do I believe it was ever in the intention of our Lord that we should soften on our core values, ethics, or morality. Everybody with me on at least the second one? Yeah. Some of you are first, pe- first one people, so I apologize. I do think there's a third way. I think the third way is attested to all through Scripture. That when we see things going in a direction that we do not like, whether it be in our homes, whether it be in our communities, whether it be in our churches, there is just one thing to do. It's for the people of God to take God more seriously. That it's not incumbent upon the society to change that we might feel better about ourselves. It's incumbent upon us to change that we might change the society. It starts with us. The answer to what ails us is that the people of God take God more seriously. It was the message of the prophets of Israel. As the rest of the world is spending this week making resolutions, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to get a better car. I'm going to remodel my home. I'm going to get a better job. I believe that in this time, in this hour, the church of Jesus Christ should be resolving to take Jesus more seriously. That we would make him, his gospel, his ethic, as the primary focus of our lives. I have one verse for us to ruminate upon today. And I pray that God will stir your heart to resolve to take him more seriously through it. Hosea chapter 10, verse 12. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. Now, before we go any further, so you don't think that I have just carved out a verse so I can topically give you something that I want to give you this morning. Let's give some context to what's taking place in the book of Hosea so that you know that there's some cogent thoughts going on up here, because I don't want you to ever assume that, at least with me. Hosea was a prophet to Israel's northern kingdom in the 8th century B.C., so we're talking nearly 2,800 years ago. The Jewish kingdom of Israel had split in two, if you will. The northern kingdom was far more powerful, both economically and militarily. They were really a kingdom. The southern kingdom, where Jerusalem is, was far less powerful militarily, far less strong economically. But in spite of doing better economically and militarily, the northern kingdom, according to the prophets and some of the uh, history that we find in First and Second Kings, the northern kingdom engaged in heavier idolatry, fouler injustice, and less fear of the Lord than their southern counterparts up to this point. So while the southern kingdom of the Jews was still guilty of unrighteousness as well, the early prophets like Hosea made it clear that the northern kingdom was totally messed up. That they were far from God. That they were an immoral, unethical, ungodly people. So while they were a stronger nation... And by all rights, the southern kingdom should have been destroyed first by powers like Assyria and Babylon and Persia. The southern kingdom survives far longer, and the northern kingdom has the hand of protection of God lifted off it and was destroyed and exiled in the year 721 before Christ. Hosea prophesied in the years just prior to that destruction and that exile. Hosea is a prophet who, both by his lifestyle choices and his prophetic utterances, was attempting to call his nation back to God, thus avoiding the destruction that ultimately took place. It's not a very happy book, because Hosea takes time, if you will, to enumerate all the sins of the northern kingdom, but not only that, talks about how God has been dishonored. By the people that he should have been honored by most. Now, in my opinion, it's not a a huge stretch to compare in some ways the moral makeup of our nation to that nation. You see, our nation, regardless of people's affiliations to whether or not they go to church on Sunday morning, at one time had some strong godly principles undergirding them and was central to the lives of many people, if not most people. But over time, fear of the Lord was replaced by hedonism. But I must stress that even though we know the end of what happened to the northern kingdom, we certainly don't know the end of what's happening to our nation. Some of us would like to prognosticate, and some of us would like to say that it's all going to hell in a handbasket. But we do not know the end of the game here, if you will, in our nation. But we do know, much like the nation of northern Israel, or just Israel as it was known, we have gone from a place of fearing the Lord and a centrality of its ethics and principles to a place where we do not fear the Lord and are interested in hedonism and whatever morality the culture wants to shape. With all of that said, the Bible is not a book of gloom, but one of hope. And even in the midst of pronouncing judgment in the book of Hosea, chapter 10, verse 12, was written. Even in the midst of going, this is heading On a track that I don't want to think about, that's not good, there is still a break. There is still a moment to stop the train rolling. Thus Hosea writes the words of chapter 10, verse 12. Words that calls the people who are still loyal and who still honor God to a high standard. And a lifestyle that's going to disregard the prevailing current of society: Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap steadfast love, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord, that He may come and reign righteousness upon you. Now some of you may do this, Go home today and read the rest of chapter 10, because verse 12 seems terribly out of place. After all, things were headed to a sad but inevitable conclusion, right? What is the point of sowing righteousness individually when the rest of society scorns us? Why reap a harvest of steadfast love when everybody else is out to get theirs? And the answer is simple. Wherever the people of God sow in righteousness and reap steadfast love, there is still hope. Wherever the people of God take God seriously, there is still hope. I would venture to say to you that the northern kingdom of Israel was in a far darker place than the place that we're living in today. Yet verse 12 was written wherever the people of God take him seriously, wherever we sow in righteousness, wherever we show the steadfast love that our Lord Jesus Christ said would be the marker of our discipleship to him, there is hope. There is hope. Regardless of the time, the season, the prevailing winds, we are the beacon of God's light and hope. And when the people of God allow their light to get dim by disdaining righteousness and forgetting to love, hope is snuffed out. But we are not a people ready to embrace gloom. We are not a people ready to embrace inevitable destruction. We are people who look for the light of Jesus Christ to dawn. And we look for it every day. It would be very easy, with the way our country is going, to just view ourselves day by day as victims. That would not be the tenor of scripture. We are to view ourselves as conquerors, not victims. We are not victims. We are who Jesus said we were. People who would be persecuted for righteousness. But we are not victims. We are doing the exact thing that God calls us to do when we are scorned for our beliefs. When we are maligned for our ethics. We are called to be that. We are not victims. We are conquerors. There is still light to dawn. There are still souls to be saved. There are still lives to be transformed. There is still hope. Don't be a victim of our culture. Be a conqueror through the power of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It was the same for the people of northern Israel as it is for us today did things look gloomy? Sure. Are we the light in the gloom? You betcha. It's who we're called to be. So as individuals, getting back to this particular passage, verse 12, how do we sow in righteousness? How do we reap steadfast love? And as I was thinking about this this week, two things came to me. One of the things that came to me about sowing in righteousness and reaping steadfast love was being people who are engaged in true reflection about who we are. True reflection. You know, thinking hard about how we are conducting ourselves and the way that we look. Without seeing our reflection, we really do not know who we are or how we are conducting ourselves. I would venture to say that if I were to ask for a raise of hands, we would all be embarrassed if I asked this question. How many of us, as we went to bed last night, took a moment to say, Lord, did I conduct myself righteously today? Lord, did I show everybody I came in contact with love? Did any of us reflect before we went to bed last night about the way that we conducted ourselves? I did, but only because I'd already written this sermon. We're not very reflective people. We're moving from one screen to the next, are we not? We're moving from the phone screen to the iPad screen to the television screen to the big screen to the movie screen. We're just moving from one thing to the next, but we're not very reflective people. We need to be reflective about where our righteousness is. We need to be reflective about if and when we showed love and if and when we didn't. In other times in history, Christians had the opportunity to do this because they were slower times. We live in busy times, therefore reflection is going to be harder in our time. But it must be who we are. Without reflection, we will not see ourselves as we really are. How many times have you thought you look really sharp, and then you step into the restroom in the middle of your workday and realize something's wrong? Maybe, maybe there's a little gopher hanging out in one of your nostrils. You know, maybe you forgot to zip all your zippers You know, for me I recall a time Pastor Cindy and I were at a conference and we were in small group sessions all morning and I had, I had made for myself for breakfast just very quickly because we had to leave at 6am just a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and I was wearing a white sweater and I had been in small group session all morning with all these other pastors and I stopped to use the restroom and I found a splotch of red jelly on my white sweater that I had been showing off to all those people all day. No idea. You know, unless we really reflect, unless we really see ourselves as we truly are, we can't make changes. And believe me, I tried to make as many changes with hand soap as I could that day. Because I didn't want to be walking around with that red splotch. Many of us do not see the problems in our character, the lack of love that we show because we never think about either one of those things. We never pray about any one of those things. We never evaluate. And if we do evaluate, we only do so because a pastor made us feel bad, a radio song made us feel bad, or someone we love yelled at us. And then we're really willing to think about the ways that we've been conducting ourselves. But look at the terms Hosea uses for righteousness and love. He uses sowing and reaping. Intentional agricultural, because they were an agricultural society. Intentional words, though, for production. Intentionally producing something in our lives. And that's the second thing that came to mind as I thought about how do we sow and reap. We have to be people of reflection, but we also have to be people of intentional production. You sow with the idea of producing You reap with the idea of producing. These agricultural things that we have going on throughout this verse are about producing something in our lives. We must be intentional about it. And once again, I know this from personal experience, it's very easy to be an unintentional Christian. To let our lives produce whatever they're going to produce but not really intentionally produce anything of spiritual value. To not really say, Lord, this is what I desire to do for you. Let's pray it into fruition. Lord, this is what you placed on my heart. Let's pray it and work it into fruition. Lord, this is what I'm convicted of. Let's pray it and work it into fruition. Instead, we sometimes just go to church. And we enjoy the emotional roller coaster that a service or a class or a small group can be without any thought to what our lives are truly producing. And lest we get to a place of utter depression where we all think 2013 could have been better. Our goal is not to just be reflective so we can be disruptive to our ego. Our goal is to be reflective so we can have a brighter future. So that we can produce something with the lives that we have been given. The interesting thing that, that the Hosea follows this sow in righteousness and reap an unfailing love statement with is what? Break up your fallow ground. Now, for those of you who, who don't know what fallow ground means, it means the unused portions of the fields that you own whether you've chosen to let them remain unused in order for a better harvest, or if they're just unused because you just haven't got to it yet. Fallow ground means that part of your fields, your vineyards, your ownership that has not yet been broken up for use. And as I read that, I thought, boy, Hosea, you hit it, man. Because we are to sow in righteousness, we are to reap in love, And none of us have maximized the potential of what God has given us yet. None of us have reached full capacity of what God has given us yet. Instead, the writer of Hosea, Hosea says, break up that unused ground in your life. Give God what you haven't given him up to this point. Surrender to him what you would not surrender up until this point. Give it over. Break it up. Plow it up. Get it done. Maximize your potential as a steward of God's righteousness and God's love. Use all of what God has given you, not just part. Break up that fallow ground. Why? Because it is time to seek the Lord. You see, I believe that the sowing in righteousness and the reaping That unfailing or that steadfast love that has said, that preachers like to use as the four Hebrew words that they know, and uh, that was a joke for, nobody got it. Uh, There's a couple, anyways. uh, That that steadfast love, that righteousness, breaking up that fallow ground, it is all informed by this last point before the great admonition, which is because it's time to seek the Lord that none of this is done by self-betterment. None of this is done by self-help tapes. None of this is done by just reflecting in your own mind about how you can do better. All of this is done because the Lord, by his Holy Spirit, desires to speak into our lives that we might maximize our potential for him while we live. God's created each one of us with the capacity to do great things for him. And my capacity is different than Greg's capacity, and Greg's capacity is different than Jack's capacity, and Jack's capacity is different than Miss Jones' capacity. But we have something that we were created to live up to, something that we were created to do, something that is not for anybody else but for us. Now, I know when I usually preach sermons like this, everybody's ready to go out and start their own nonprofit, and that's not what I'm getting to at all. Some of you are in your ministry field right now at your workplace, but you need to maximize your potential. And God wants to teach you how to do that. Some of your capacity is to be right where you are right now, and God just wants you to say, take me more seriously. Come up to the level that you can live at. I want you to live there. Maybe somebody's supposed to start a nonprofit, but that's not what I'm getting at this morning. God needs people in every field that is represented in this room. Did you know that? Did you know that? Every single field that's represented in this room, full time, part time, little time, God needs. And he designed. He needs you to maximize your potential where you're at. He needs you to be a beacon of righteousness and love right where you're at. To seek the will of the Lord is that God would change us. And mold us and make us into the likeness of his son. That's what we're after. When we do that, the gloom that once penetrated a world covered in darkness begins to be dispelled by the glorious light of Jesus Christ. That's the business that we're in. We need to be people who seek the Lord because in the words of Hosea that he may come and reign righteousness upon us. I have to be honest with you and this is this is a scary statement for a pastor to make. Last time I made this statement, someone came up to me afterwards told me what it really meant and then they spoke heresy. I had to deal with that. I don't know what this means. That he'll come and rain righteousness upon us. I don't understand the full implications of what that could mean for us. Do you see why I don't know what that means? I could stand up here with with all types of surety, but be speaking all types of nonsense if I told you I know exactly what that means. But boy, do I long for it. I long for the righteousness of God to be rained upon us. I long for the rightness of what God designed for us to rain upon us, to overwhelm us, to make what is not right right to make what is dark light to make what is bad good to take what is dead and to give it new life we should desire that his righteousness reign upon us hosea was crying out that his people might take god more seriously And today, I ask each one of us, myself included, that we would not think that hope lies in coalitions, that hope lies in softening who we are, but our hope lies in pursuing God and everything that he has for us. That's where there's hope, and that's where there's life. And today, with the time remaining, I'm going to ask you just to take a few minutes of reflection with the Lord. Take a few moments today, whether it be in your seat or in this altar, to say, Lord, do I take you seriously? Are you the primary thing in my life? Where can I, Lord, step up and break up some fallow ground. And Lord, what can I do to increase in righteousness and love? As you're taking time to pray today, I ask that you maybe keep your Bible right open in your lap, because you may just have the outline for prayer right there. And as I begin to pray, I ask that you would begin to pray, and for those of you who would like to pray in this, our temporal altar this morning, I invite you to do so. Will you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we desire to be a people who seeks after you. We desire to be a people, Lord, that sows in righteousness, that reaps in steadfast love, that admits that we have not arrived and break up the fallow ground of our lives. Most importantly, Lord, we pray that by your Holy Spirit, your righteousness would flood over us and make us beacons of light and hope. Father God, I pray in this place today, we would take just a few moments to get serious with you, that you might speak by your still, small voice into our lives.